If you have your Bibles or Testaments with you, we're turning to John's Gospel, chapter 13. I want you to open the Bible there at John's Gospel, chapter 13. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, maybe someone beside you will share with you. We'll be going to see scriptures, some scriptures in a moment of two. This is the last of our nights of seventh night on surviving the sifting. And you'll see where we are before very long as we close up tonight. Just give me your attention, please. Tomorrow Thursday is the fifth day of what we call Easter week or Passion Week or Holy Week. And if you're a Jew, you'll call it Passover Week or the Feast of Unleavened Bread Week. And if you're a Muslim, you'll call it Ramadan. Herbert Locher, author and scholar, I think Stephen referred to this on the Lord's Day, has written a book, it's out of print, I'm sure, at the minute, The Week That Changed the World. And certainly, it's a week that changed my life. And millions and billions of lives have been changed because of this week that we're going down into. Begins with a cult on the Sunday, and it ends with the cross on the Friday. Packed with action, drama, trauma, controversy, conflict, contention, excitement, and finally ending in execution. The fourth day, I want you to take notice of this, the fourth day, Wednesday, is the only day that our Lord said or done or his disciples anything. Search the gospel narratives and you'll not find anything that happened on that day. Nothing said, nothing done by the Lord or his disciples. But the enemies spent it contriving and scheming how they were going to kill him. It appears that he and the disciples spent Wednesday at Bethany for a season of meditation and prayer, rest, retirement, quietness, until the afternoon of the Thursday when he left Bethany and came down to the upper room. Just a wee thing I need to say here. Remember this, that the Lord Jesus told his disciples after the death of John the Baptist. Remember he said to them, he told them that they would need to rest a while. Come ye yourselves apart and rest a while. And that's very important. That's what he's doing here. It's the lull before the storm. Even in heaven, you know, in Revelation chapter 8, it says in the space of a half an hour, there was silence in all of heaven. Now, I don't know how you explain time in heaven, but the Revelation says a half an hour, and then the seals were burst open and all the... Judgment of hell fell. But there was that half hour of heaven. You have it before you have it before the storm. I came before the storm. You have it in the waters. I was brought up in Lower Loch Aaron, and the old men could tell you down there, as we looked out from our house often, they could tell us there that there's a storm coming. And there wouldn't be a cloud in the sky. But Lower Loch Iron's a narrow place and a situation with mountains up Donegal on one side and Maho Mountains on the other side. And I have experienced it just in a flash. From a calm, still day, the storm can ride. In order to face these 24 hours, he needs to be physically, because he's the son of man, 
He needs to be physically, mentally, and spiritually alert. Remember, he's the son of man. He's a man. And he needs all his faculties. And we need always to remember too, brethren and sisters, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that we need rest, and we need sleep, and we need food. For we have treasures in earthen vessels. And what a treasure we have in earthen vessels. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So precious is the treasure within us that three predators 24-7 follow us to destroy us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now the last 24 hours of our Lord's ministry from 3 p.m. from 3 p.m. in the afternoon of Thursday to 3 p.m. on the afternoon of Friday it was unprecedented in the history of the world what happened. From he walked into the upper room on the Thursday afternoon to the feast until he cried on the cross on the Friday afternoon it was finished. Never in the field of human conflict did one man endure such contradiction as the Hebrew writer puts it, of sinners. Abuse, suffering, strife, misunderstanding, conflict. Remember Peter who's with him and these disciples are with him in the upper room that you're going to see. Peter denied him and cursed him. Judas bargained and betrayed him. They all forsook him and fled even his own father, God the Father, turned his face away from him on the cross at Calvary. He's going through all that. The hours of the greatest siftings ever endured by mortal man is this. The siftings of siftings is the title for my message tonight. The sifter himself is being sifted by another sifter. Remember in all our siftings, shakings, afflictions, trials, in this wee life of ours, remember always we had him with us as believers. Remember that. He says, I'll never leave thee or forsake thee. And every sifting that you go into in health and family or whatever it might be, he limits it. He sets the endurance for it. He allows it. He stops it. He lessens it. He governs it. He controls it. And like Peter, when he was in the sifting, he prays for us. Not here. Not here. He had absolutely... Nobody. He could say like the psalmist, David, no man cared for my soul. Abandoned and forsaken by men. In the end of Isaiah we read this, Isaiah, I trod the winepress alone and there was none to go with me. As I meditated upon and immersed myself in this fearful, faithful 24 hours, a number of things began to come out of the darkness and revealed themselves to me as I prayed over them regarding the surviving of the sifting, the sifting, and how he survived the sifting. And most importantly, what he did during the period of sifting, how he handled it. Remember, all our light afflictions are but for a moment. These trials that we have are light compared to this. He went through more in one 
hour than we all would go through in the lifetime. So I want you to set your eyes on John 13 and verse 1. And if you have your Bibles or if you just listen tonight, if you haven't, enter in to the upper room. I have been in this upper room all week and in Gethsemane. Here he is now in the afternoon, the early afternoon of the Thursday. Now before the feast of the Passover, let me stop there a wee minute to clear up a few things, a wee thing. We know that at this time there were two meals, two feasts. The Passover one, which was legal, and the breaking of bread, which was social. We must not dare enter into this tonight. Scholars have debated around these two feasts and argued over which come first and which come second and the procedure in them. And we're not touching that tonight. You'll see as we open the scriptures, they'll be revealed to you. There's three things here that depict and expose and portray some of the characteristics of Christ that will allow you to see how he survived the sifting. In fact, there's a number of things. And the first thing is I want to say, he is light. He is light. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory to the people of Israel. In him is no darkness at all. There's not a shade or a shadow or a glimpse or a spot in darkness in him. He's completely and utterly transparent and pure. Now why did I say this, that? I said it to let you know that he is completely transparent, that he knows everything. Look at the verse. Now before the feast of the Passover was over, when Jesus knew that his hour was come. It hadn't come until now. He could say many times, my hour has not yet come. He knows now that it's come. He knows the hour. He knows the day. He knew it from all eternity. And he knows what's going to happen. I'm glad I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's a blessing. I'm glad I don't know what's going to happen this week in my family, in my home, in my health. I'm glad. Because I don't think I'd be here tonight. Look at the verse. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart. That word depart is to quickly move from one place to another. No purgatory here. Paul says to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better. Depart. Now I want you to notice what he says here. To depart out of this world. Now you just look at that, this world. That sounds to me that he's far from happy with the world. Not the world he created. This, this world. But notice what he says, out of this world onto the Father, not to heaven. Not to the streets of gold, not to the multitudes of the angelic host and beings that watched for him and looked for him coming back and returning. He wants to get back to the Father. Oh, the love he had for the Father and the Father had for him. He's looking to get back when he finishes the work to the Father. May we look. May we keep looking on to him 
May we pie past the loved ones, the golden streets, the all that heaven has, the rivers and the trees and all that the scripture tells us about the glories of eternal heaven. May we get past all that and look for him. Oh, I want to see him. And I want to see him before I see my mother. I want to see him first of all. Unto the Father. He longs to be back. He longs to be back. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, that he was come from God and he went from God. Look, he had came from God. He was going back to God. And John, in chapter 1 of his gospel, says he was God. Now, you, some of you preachers take those three things up and preach them sometimes. Out of this world, oh boy, I'd love to get out of this world. I'm telling you, it's worse and worse. Listen to the news today. Yesterday, any day. This evil, wicked world. The world he created has perpetuated into sinfulness and wickedness and immorality and it's the last days and worse it's going to get. If he wanted out, should we not want out? Should we not be looking for the rapture and the coming of our Lord to take us home? Always remember that he was the very creator of light. Let there be light. This is the one here now, isn't it? He is the very divider of light. He divided the light from the darkness. He's a very giver of light. Paul writing to Timothy said, he brought life, immortality to light in the gospel. Hallelujah. For the day I heard the gospel and the Lord saved me. But you know, you know, we not only see his light, but we see his love. Read the verse again, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should... Depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Stare upon those words, will you please? Having loved his own. There's no greater love, my friend, than this. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. There's no greater love and there's no longer love because it says here he loves them on to the end. Not only the end of her life, but all eternity. Having loved. Now note, you must miss not the word. Having loved. He already had loved them. Having loved. I tell you, John's going away back into eternity. Away in eternity past, before the hills in order stood, he loved me with an everlasting love, and I'll never understand that. Having loved. And he still loves. And he loves Judas, whose feet he's going to wash. Some say with the traitor's money in the pocket. And he loved Peter who was going to deny him and curse him. His love never changes, my friend. And because you slipped and fell during the week, he doesn't love you any less. Because you made a mess of things, he doesn't love you any less. He can't love you any less, because God is love. May well might we sing, loved with everlasting love, led by grace, that love to know. But there's something else here. I'm building a picture now of him of a sifting. You'll see how I'm getting it up, getting on. Having loved his own. 
which are in the world, he loved them unto the end. Do you know those two words, his own? I can honestly say tonight that these two words broke me. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. I'm his own tonight. I'm his own by creation, he created me. I'm his own by redemption, he redeemed me and paid the price at Calvary for my sins. I'm his own by salvation tonight, for he saved me one day 50 years ago. Hallelujah. He knew all things. Oh, the love. Oh, the light that he had. He knew everything about every man in that room and what they were going to do, the, the twelve of them. Twelve of them. He knew all things about them. You know that these men come into the room in strife. Do you know that they came round the table in strife? Yes, because they were striving of who's going to be the best in the kingdom. They're just at that now. They're looking at one another and accusing who's going to deny him. They're in strife and that's no way to come around the table. And he knew that. You be very careful the way you come around the table or come into the meeting. Because if you have strife against a brother or a sister, you're on dangerous ground. Just let that sink in now. He knew who the traitor was. He knew Judas inside out. And he loved him. And he knew what was going on in the hearts of these men. And yet, he loved them. There was light. He is light. His love. We see his light. We see his love. Now here's the point. We see his life. His life. And this is the point of the sifting. The first point of the sifting now. From the stable to the table. It was humility all the way. And if we're going to survive the siftings, we'll have to humble ourselves before him. Verse 2, the traitor. Verse 3, the table. Verse 4, the towel. Verse 2, and supper being ended. Now, I'm not going into this, but I, the translation is not right sometimes in these things, and I'm talking about the supper, there's a confusion around it. I think it was during the supper, but that doesn't matter. Supper being ended. What did he do? He rises from supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. Now, friends, tonight, we're on holy ground here. The upper room was already furnished. The custom in the upper room was that there was a basin, that there was a towel, that there was water, and that there was a slave. There's no slave here. He must have organized that. And I think that as he gathered around them and as they reclined, they weren't sitting, they were reclining, these 12 men, 
I think he looked round to see who was going to get the basin and the towel because it was the custom. Sometimes they say it was done it when they come in and sometimes when they were going out. Maybe both times, I don't know. But they had come from Bethany, you see, and there was only sandals and it was a custom that the feet would be washed and there was a lot of teaching in that. But I think that he looked round them to see who was going to do this job. Not one of them moved. Not one. And how could they? How could they if their heart's not right? How could they bow down at the feet of Judas? Although they didn't know. How could they bow down beside John and James who were looking for the place and the kingdom and the argument was going on? Couldn't do it. Humility is a big thing. It's the opposite to pride. You remember this, the devil's here. He's in the room. Did you, did you see that? He's in the room. Not one came forward. Our blessed loving Savior took off the outer garment and he girded himself with a towel. Now that towel there was the size of a bath towel. But it's not a towel like you know, it's linen fabric. The size maybe of a long bath towel and the linen fabric, he wrapped it around him. The moment he wrapped it around him, he became a slave. Right? That was the slave's job. That was the slave's attire. Oh, what humility. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death. Boy, all stinking pride that's in God's people's awful. If we don't humble ourselves, he will humble us. And if the Lord's putting his finger on something in your life or my life as he has when I was preparing this, you see to it. For a man's pride shall bring him low, the scripture says. Not one of them, not even John, the beloved, made an attempt to do this lowly task. The number one way that he's surviving the sifting and you will survive the sifting is to humble yourself at the feet of the Lord when the trial and the affliction and the testings come. Peter got the message later because he says, Peter says, he giveth grace to the humble. And they said, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Let me emphasize this again. Some scholars say when he was washing Jews, and remember this, he had the towel around him and he dried them. He didn't do the job half. In that climate, I know so many men in that room, you know, it would have been warm and we have time it had been that one and to the others would have been dried, but he done the thing well. He went from one from the other and Peter interrupted him. We're not going into that tonight because we're not after that. 
But some scholars say that he, Judas, had the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket at that moment, and Jesus, of course, knew that. He knew what he was going to do in an hour or so. Because he left before the rest of them. Number one way of surviving the sifting, the Lord tells us and he shows us, is humiliation. Now I want you to turn back to to Matthew 26. You're feeding on the word tonight, so feed on in it. Don't worry about times. Matthew 26 and verse 26 We have the same scene by another writer. Can I say this when you're getting your place? That John seemed to be so taken up with the towel. He's the only one that gives us this, you know. John was so taken up with this when, when he went to write the Gospels afterwards that that's the first thing that he did. He, he, he could see him, he could remember. You know, he, do, you know, do you know John was on the Mount of Transfiguration with him? And the rest of them spoke about the, what they, oh, Elijah and Elijah and the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was transfigured before them. But this is the scene that nailed John more than anything. This is the scene that's 26 and 26. Look, and as they were eating, Jesus, that's what I said, that's why I said it during the supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and give it, to the, and give it to the disciples. Now stop there a minute. He blessed it, he break it, and he give it. There was no use in him blessing it if he didn't break it. And there was no use in him breaking it if he didn't give it. If he'd only blessed this and broke this and kept it to himself, we'd be in hell going by the symbol. We'd be no better than the Church of Rome. No, he, he blessed it and he break it and he gave it. What did he give? What's he saying? He gave his own body for our sins. This is my body which was broken for you. We had to get it. I got it. Hallelujah. He gave himself for us. That's what he's saying here. Now read down. Go down to verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out onto the Mount of Olives. The last thing that they did before they went out of the upper room, down the stone steps in the Passover moon, crossed the Kidron up into into Gethsemane that night, Thursday night. Last thing they did was to sing. So I want to suggest to you tonight that there's not only humiliation that will uh, survive the suffering, but jubilation. Jubilation. Because if you knew what was going on in my life and home, you wouldn't sing. Well, you know what he knows what's going on. You talk about follow, sing about following Jesus. Can't even smile when you go to the dentist. (laughs) 
you, you just, you just, you just let that sink in. They're singing, and let me tell you, if you trace that word, they're singing and rejoicing and they're praising. Knowing the agony, knowing the pain, knowing the roaring and the sufferings, our Lord's singing hymns. He's singing hallelujah. How do you get that? Well, the Passover feast, they sang the hallelujah psalms, and there's five or six of them. Let me just take a wee thing out of what they've been singing. Don't, don't turn to it. Psalm 115 and verse 2. Lord, this is what they were singing now. Lord, the heathen will be saying, where is now their God? <laughs> and then they'll come back with the chorus, but our God is in the heavens. He doeth whatsoever he pleases. Psalm 115, verse 2. Psalm 116, the sorrows of death have come past me. The pains of hell have got hold of me. Thou wilt deliver my soul from death and mine eyes from tears and my feet from falling. That's what he's singing. And then he goes on down. The one precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Aye, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the Savior. And precious in the, death of, in the sight of the Lord is the death of the sinner. Then Psalm 117, there's only three verses, two or, there's a two or three verses, but anyway, three times, three times in one verse, they say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This is when they're going into Gethsemane. And one, Psalm 118, here's what they would have sung, and you go through those Psalms and you lift them out and you'll get a feed, a feed that you, like you never got. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, he is good. The first four verses are to do, oh, all to do with mercy, 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 mercy in every verse. Boy, I tell you, the joy of the Lord was their strength. When I was in the second year in the Baptist college, I started to juggle about bits and try to get been into churches and I, I, I don't believe the Holy Spirit had much to do with a good bit of it but anyway they said to me there's a church over in Scotland New Comnock Baptist Church and uh, because you're past from where you were working and all the rest it would be better going over there so I arrived in New Newcomnick Baptist Church. I'm talking about 40, 40 years ago. And this church was in the middle of a big housing estate. And I, I can't sing it, you know, but I never heard singing like it. Apparently they were mostly minors. And the place was full and the singing went... Oh, God help us, boy, how we need a bit of life about this house here. And the singing was powerful. And me being inquisitive and the Lord dealing with me and looked around and I said to one of the elders, I said, how did this place start? It's just one man. But he's not here. Is he dead? No, he's not. But he's as good as dead. One man got a burden, come out in amongst the housing estate. He says, you're going to such and such a place for your dinner. He says, you're not, he's beside, that man lives beside where you're going. And they'll take you to see him. So after the dinner was over, this man took me to this wee terraced house, New Comnock. Brought me in and the wife welcomed us, and here he is sitting in a wheelchair. And I couldn't describe what he was like. Every bone in his body was twisted. 
his face, his eyes. And I put my hand on him and said, what do you say to anybody? How are you? I didn't, I couldn't make out what he said. You know what the wife said? He says, praising, praise the Lord. I'm all right. Praise the Lord, I thought to myself. God help me. That's the way to survive the sifting. Listen, friends, we go on to close. You can resist it. And you can rebel against it and against God. Or you can resolve to it and say, with a stiff upper lip, I'll ride out the storm. That's not the scripture ways. The scripture ways is to rejoice in tribulation. I, over the singing of this hymn and these psalms, and I must, I have to draw swords with my, some of my brethren friends. The word hymn is humino, is to sing praises mostly with a musical instrument. Now, Judah was the tribe of praise. And we read about Judah. They were instructed to sing in the house of the Lord with cymbals, psalteries, harps, for the service of the house of God. I think we have a lot to learn. And I'll leave it at that. Slowly the door of the upper room opened and he came out and the eleven followed him. Knowing where he was going, he crossed down in the full moon and he crossed over the Kidron River and up in the Kidron Valley and up into the Gethsemane where Judas knew he would be. And as he moved into Gethsemane, He told some of them to just wait inside the door, inside the hedge of the gate. He took Peter and James and John and they went over a bit closer. And then it says he went a little further. <laughs> I praise his name. He always goes a wee bit further. And I couldn't, I couldn't explain to you, nor no, no Bible teacher or scholar or preacher could explain to you what happened in these hours. These hours of Thursday night. Only way you can do it is read the scriptures and read the scriptures and read it. One more reading. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. Just take your time. Humiliation. Jubilation. Supplication. Verse 7, Hebrews 5 and verse 7. He's in Gethsemane now. The disciples are sleeping. Yeah, Peter, James, and John went to sleep. He knew that they'd sleep. 
They still wash their feet. Who in the days of his flesh, and remember as the son of man he had the battle with the flesh, When he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now I want you to notice this as we close. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered This is the sacrificial offering now. This is the lamb being offered up. This is the burnt offering, the peace offering, the meal offering, all together. He's offering his body a living sacrifice. That's what he told us to do. Don't wait. I heard an old boy of 75 one day saying in a prayer meeting, Lord, and I knew the way he lived as a Christian. Oh, Lord, he says, I'm going to give all to you. What good is that? Lord doesn't want the fag ends of your life, son. When you have done what you want to do. When you have made your money and had your time and everything else. And I'm tired of the boys that taking pen, big pensions and handouts from banks and schools and all and going into the Lord's work. Ah. There's a wee church there, we pastors, aye. There's no call of God about that. I tell you, it's a serious thing and a lovely thing. And we should be prepared to do no less than give him our all when he gave all for us. This is the sacrifice. This is the high priest sacrificed by Shazadak, the verse before, which we are not going into tonight. But here is what he did in Gethsemane. With strong crying. That's the same word as roaring. In, I think it's Psalm 22. Roaring. I tell you, this was not for the faint hearted and drops of blood started to come through his veins. The Son of God now. You tell me that there was any other way to, is there any other way to get saved than the cross? You tell me now. God forgive us for the cross. It's not being preached the way that it should in our land. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishly, but unto us which believe, it's the power. And you're going to be saved, you'll have to come humbly to the foot of the cross and stay there until you're sure you're saved and get up and sacrifice your life for him. With strong crying and roaring, and another word is used in uh, regarding Gethsemane, agony. This word here where it says, in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplication, the Greek of that is a continually and earnestly and repeatedly prayed and cried and wept and roared. Very long, I don't know. Then watch this. With strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that he was afraid of dying. 
He knew he was going to die. That's why he has come. He has come to die. This is the hour. But I think, and I think that Pink and others, what they say, I think it's this, don't let me die here. I must die on the cross. Must have been bad in Gethsemane. Must have been bad. Friend, when you think of your life as a Christian, and we can't drag Christians out to prayer meetings or around the table or to go through with God. It's very sad. And one of the reasons for that is we don't understand the cross. We don't understand the price that he paid. And then thank God in the midst of it, must have been bad in the midst of it, God dispatched an angel into the garden to strengthen him. That he'd get to the cross. And then Judas, with his 500 men, with their lanterns, the lanterns to take the light of the world and their torches and their staves surrounded him. And Judas kissed him. And even then, he called him his friend. Friend, where friend, hast thou come? All I can say tonight as I close this, the siftings and the trials and the testings of life, we need to follow this. Humble ourselves. Humiliation. Jubilation. Supplication. Keep praising. Keep praying. As we're going to do now, some of us in a minute. Keep praising, keep praying, keep thanking the Lord and thank him, thank him for Calvary. Thank him for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Thank him as he goes on to that old rugged cross for your sin and for mine. May God restore us if we're backslidden. May God save us if we're not. May God add an inch to our step for him that we might offer ourselves completely and fully to the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. Amen.